0: what can we do okay okay, right now let's say as as a parent listen to this i'm not a parent a parent
1: listen to this what can they do to kind of protect their child from this listen to them um understand i mean don't just listen to their words listen to them
0: welcome to the prime life project podcast a place to help you unlock your full potential both mentally and physically to become the best version of you Welcome back to another episode of the Primal Project Podcast, a place to help you both mentally and physically become the best version of yourself. I'm your host, Daniel James, and just to clarify, I am recording. So I did an amazing <laughs> intro, like, <laughs> bigging my guest up, looked down, and realized I hadn't actually pressed record. And this is only the second time it's actually happened, I think, uh, during the time, whole time i doing a podcast. Um, but my guest today... Um, very excited to have him on. Like, the topic we're going to be talking about is something I've never really discussed before and um, it's one of Mikey's uh, friends and again, Mikey had him on his podcast um, and the guy's story is absolutely incredible so I could spend the entire episode just discussing his story uh, and, and where he's come from and what he does now but what I really want to focus on is literally the part now of what he's doing and making such a big difference in people's lives, especially young kids lives. Um, so that's where we're going down on today's episode but my guest today is Mr. Jay Pedley. How are we? I'm very well yourself. I'm very well. So uh, you got a bit of humour in you now. You've got System, like. There's no, there should be no nerves here now. The fact that I've just literally fought to press record for ten minutes of the episode, That's so okay. we got over it. We did get over we're it here. So We're, we're here now, we're <laughs> where we are. So Jake, like I said, uh, I want to go into a lot of detail about what we do now because, mm. like I said, we've had a real good conversation off air. Uh, the work you do is incredible, but I want to kind of take my audience back to sort of you growing up, to mm-hmm. almost like pre-qualify you to what we're going to talk about, because your story is very, very fascinating. Mm. So can you sort of take me back to sort of young Jay and kind of um, the sort of family dynamic that you grew up in and sort of like your environment in school and sort of how that sort of led to you sort of going through your early days?
1: Uh, yeah, of course I can. Um, I mean, I started life pretty normally, as you do, um, up to the age of about seven, um, seven or eight Life was pretty normal. Pa- both parents were at work. Mm-hmm. Um, quite an affluent childhood, to be fair. There was always Christmas presents. It was always birthdays. But yes, yeah, say so both parents worked. Mum had a part-time job. Um, she was at home when we came home from school, or she pick us up from school, and so on. There was holidays, all that sort of stuff. Um, so nothing really that would sort of bang a drum, mm-hmm. to be fair. And then around sort of seven, eight, um, my father, who all he already had a, a relationship with alcohol. Um, hit the bottle uh, following the death of his father um, and him and my mum looking after his mother who had Parkinson's, they both lived with us. When, so when my grandfather died um, and when my grandmother had Parkinson's, they both lived with us. So um, alcohol took over his entire being for mm. a, a number of years. So life was uh, pretty tricky. Um, <laughs> after about 18 months of that, we all stability was lost. Um, So we moved around. Um, So with 18 months of my father hitting the bottle properly and my mum joining him, Mm -hmm. um, we moved. Um, We had to move house. It was, money was all gone. It was always drunk, you know, there was always at the pub. Me and my brother were left to our own devices a lot of the time. Um, So yeah, whole stability gone. Um, Are you the oldest? Uh, no, my brother's older than older. me. Yeah. yeah, he's three years older than me. So um, he'd have been sort of 11. I'd have been yeah. 8, uh, 10, 11. I'd have been 7, 8. So, so yeah. in
0: the time on this, because I know you spoke about this off air, because like, you're from a very like mining town whereabouts whereabouts did you grow up i grew up in eastwood yeah
1: yeah yeah so um my father my father was a police officer to start with that's how my mum met i know we've just been talking about that and then he worked for more green colliery um which most people did in that area of course um and then he he actually went went on to work for a brewery in nottingham shipston's who used to sponsor forest so he's really happy with that (laughs) wasn't he um but yeah it, it was uh it was a good life to, yeah. to start with, yeah. It was it was okay, um, but then, you know, shit hit the fan, mm. as it were. So, so we can we talk about that? Because this this is where uh, again trying to piece
0: piece the puzzle here. Yeah. Um, when his dad died, is that linked into around when the coal mining
1: kind of stopped? Was there like a correlation between the two there, or not really? No, because um, I don't think the the, the pit didn't close. For, I, I was there when they when they knocked the um the. I can't remember what it was called now, the, m- the mine, yeah, yeah the yeah, mine, yeah, yeah the, uh, the the lift shaft, when I was there, when they demolished it, so, you know, we was in, I, was, I just remember being pushed in as a push chair, to be yeah. fair, uh, or it might have been a, a little bike I had, um, but then they carried on working, because they were working in the workshops, um, and then my father went to work at Shipstons, so it wasn't necessarily a correlation yeah. with, the, with the pit closing, he went over to there, because he wanted to, you know, He'd had a history of working with pubs. My grandfather worked at Kimberley Ales. You know, he used to run pubs. So my grandfather's job was when a landlord wasn't paying his upkeep, they used to come in, chuck him out, and then my dad would go in and run the pub whilst they, they found, found somebody else. else. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so he, he kind of went back into that and sort of managed the distribution side of Ships and Ales at the time. Yeah. Um, to my grandfather dying was just the, you know, I say the relationship with alcohol was already, all, yeah. always there, and it was there probably from... And my dad will tell you he, he smoked since he was eleven and he's drank since he was fourteen. You know, um, there's very much
0: the thing to do there back in there, wasn't it? Like, yeah, if was and you Ripley's, like you're small, like your mining bit. There's yeah. very much the kind of the norm. So to hear that now, people be like, well, it's a bit. Yeah, but actually, back then that was kind of the normal thing. For Absolutely, to do. as
1: soon as you knocked off at the pit. You went to the pub. Yeah. You know, you took tr- your keep on the table, you went to the pub. Um, even even working for the police, you know, because he he worked for Nottinghamshire Shinsadbury for for a number of years. That was his first uh, first career. Um, he'll tell you he watched '66 World Cup at the local Nick, you know. <laughs> um, but he used to walk the beat and he'd walk the beat with his sergeant and they'd they have half a pint in every pub. They'd phone these old police boxes at the mm. end of the street. They'd phone in saying everything was fine. Then sergeant drive him home. Haven't had a full. Well, that was the sixties, early seventies. Yeah. You know, it was acceptable then. Yeah. I mean, now it's it's a no go. Mm. So even in law enforcement, there was a culture of drinking. Yeah. Um, I remember working um, in the early part of my career and going into one of the nicks in Derby City, and they had its own bar and it was like ninety pence a pint. Yeah. So once you knocked off. everybody went there and had had a few pints you know do you think
0: think with this because again this is uh, again an interesting conversation about like uh, masculinity and men Mm. in that because obviously your dad idolised your dad is dad I'm assuming like mean, like working closely together like I'm not yeah. saying idolize maybe a strong word but I like, do mean like you look up to your dad don't you yeah do you think there was an issue there with dealing with the, the loss of that the grief because I think grief is a massive thing for a lot of people I'm trying to like with this thing here, I'm trying to like paint the picture of sort of where we're at because we're going to get into your school days in a second but mm. okay, for me like your your upbringing is very very unique mm. in a sense of actually being very aware of what was going on mm. in that situation and you're at an age where I imagine you took a lot from it, a lot of, uh, this is kind of a bit bizarre here, a lot of positives from it, meaning, without realizing it, you were able to read when your dad came in what kind of dad was going to come home. Yeah. So straight away, that's going to help you read. Now as an adult, doing what you do, yeah, yeah. your ability to read, well, is, my, is it happy dad? Is it sad dad? Is it angry yeah. dad? So you then straight away, as soon as he comes in the door, you can see from his mannerisms. Yeah. That that now stands you in good stead. Now at the time, you wouldn't have realized that. And again, I'm, I'm assuming you'd rather not have had that experience. But I'm trying to see from like like your dad, who's, again, law enforcement, hard-working person, uh, what potentially caused that sort of demise into alcoholism? And I know it's a very long topic in itself, but...
1: My father didn't really have a relationship with his father. And my father was raised by his auntie because my grandfather and grandmother, they, they only wanted one child. Because of his job in the brewery, they were able to go on cruises and they were able to go here, there and everywhere. So my father was raised by his auntie. Mm. So I think... My father, when when my grandfather when they started to work together, when my father was an adult, I think he wanted to reconnect, yep. which is probably where the idolization came in, mm. because he had quite a traumatic upbringing with uh, the hands of his aunt. You know, it's quite a a volatile situation. Mm. You know, it's uh, you're being raised by not your parents. Your parents are probably on some cruise somewhere yeah. doing something. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think when when my father was an adult and he was doing his, you know, going through his careers and what he was doing. I think my grandfather was proud of him for doing that. And I think my dad relished that because he didn't have it as growing up. So then when he lost his father, well, he only really had his father for a certain period of time, didn't he? And he just got back that connection and then it's kind of taken away. Yeah. so So when you lose that or you didn't have that connection and you've already gone through, you know, you've already processed what childhood's like, you've already processed education, you know, to, to have, and try and build a relationship when the imprint is already on you. That takes a, a protracted period of time. Yeah. Whereas a child, you're a sponge, mm. and you, you build that. You get those attachments quite quickly. Yep. Um, but with people who were, di- I think, as distance with my father as his parents were, particularly mm. my grandmother, mm. for for instance, um, that that took a long time. And I think then the loss of that just hit harder mm. to be fair i think
0: grief hits us all even like people that are more emotionally aware and understand these things like grief yeah. again i've gone through something myself i've got to the podcast they'll know i've gone through a lot of grief myself personally not the loss of someone but the loss of a thing yeah and that can be just as hard because you don't really understand what you're grieving for and it, it's yeah. like that, that, that pandora's box you don't really know what it is no. um so for me with this now i want to kind of like talk about your school so mm. I said we're going to go back to this because there's something really interesting. We're going to go back to this about what the job you do now, about uh, fatherhood and the the, the the role model of, yeah. of fathers. I think mean, that's a massive thing, but I just want to like just dig into your story a bit more until we loop back into this. So uh, we'll, we'll hold that thought. So I, I remember you saying that you got bullied at school as well. I yes. can't imagine anyone bullying you at the size. of your not I, didn't, right? always, I <laughs> didn't always <laughs> want <to face>. um, <laughs> because this intro that was with Mikey about this as well. Like, um, Mikey at school struggled with bullying. I struggled at school with bullying. Mm. So yourself as well. So mm. again, you've got this at home where the, the home environment's a bit volatile. And yep. For most kids, most kids like school's a safe space, yeah. and potentially you'd expect in your situation for you to become the bully. And this is something that I, I loved what you said on uh, Mikey's podcast, and it's really stuck with me that, because um, again, I have, I've had someone come on talking about bullying, and basically the most bullies have got, got stuff going yeah. at home. But the thing I've really like we said about, most bullies are bullying themselves yeah. in here, yeah. and that was really, really powerful. Yeah. So everything was set up for you to kind of go to school and be this bully, but you weren't, you actually got bullied. So can you explain how that must have been? Because you, you, you expect schools to be a safe haven and there's yeah.
1: not. How did that not break you? I think because it was so chaotic um, and I know I talked before with Mikey about the chaos that was going off in my own head. And this is about the bully. Um, and I think the, the phrase I used was on describe my daughter describing a bully. Mm. I says, you know, be careful how you, you label a bully because yep. you don't know what's going off. They might be, be being bullied at home by somebody, somebody or being bullied by their own mind. Exactly, that's it. And I think at that point, I was probably being bullied by my own mind. Um, because money had dried up, didn't have the best of things, so I didn't have the haircut. You know, I always remember my mum get my grandfather on her her father to cut my hair. Um, you know, you you it you didn't have the best of trainers, you didn't have the right coat. I was tall, I was I was a bean pole. I had these whacking great jugs sticking out the <laughs> side of me, uh, side of my head. Um, and you know, I was a bit of a I wouldn't say I was a recluse because I had friends, um, but I didn't really know my place. And if you join a school, because um, the, the, the first senior school I went to, for instance, most of my friends went to the other senior school. Mm. There's only a handful of us went to the, the, the other one. Yep. And the feeder schools there, they'd already got their groups. Yep. And then you in walks this, you know, ru- these come rugby ball head, because my head was shaped like a rug, because I was so thin. Yeah. Um, I, got, I got called melon head. <laughs> my head. My head was so big. Yeah, <laughs> well, there you go. Um, <laughs> so it was, it, you just you just learn to cope and there's no, n- there's nothing more resilient than a child mm. who's, who's dealing with things at home and at school. Mm. There's nothing more resilient in, in, in what build resilience in those situations because you kind of start to accept that's your lot, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to get it at home. You know, I know what my dad, like you say, happy, yep. w- w- which dad have I got? You know, from, from sort of naught to seven, my dad was a happy jolly guy mm. um, from seven onwards. He wasn't, mm. you go to school, you, you know, the, the the bullies as the, as you would term them, they weren't really bullies. They just homed in. Because they, they that, that's the thing. With school, you look back now at kids that age. Yeah, they're not really bullies. No. But as a the kid, you're very be, yeah. But kids can be cruel. Exactly. They? But they don't know you what, don't they know they what, do. what they they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. It's just yeah. words to them. And
0: you hear it yeah. now, kids. Kids will say words, but they don't really know what they're saying. Yeah. And again, it's because, as you said, you're bullying yourself. Yeah. You're not okay with yourself. You then go home and you keep replaying it. Yeah. Why do they call you me melonhead? Yeah. Like for them minute. M- melon head yeah. like, what is it rugby ball head it's not yeah. really insulting it's like yeah, yeah. Saying, you, you, again you had a big head I had a big head for my body as well okay but yeah. as a kid you're internalising that yeah. why, why are they saying that to me like what do the girls think of me do all the girls think I've got a massive head yeah. and then you become even more like of a recluse within yourself yeah. because again as you said you keep replaying it you are replaying it and the bullies only said it to you once or twice and you're saying yourself constantly
1: it then makes you kind of want to just be absolutely. like, absolutely. Well, it's, I mean, even even down, I always remember sitting and and sitting in art. Um, in in it went, I went to Aldershot to start with. I remember sitting in Mr. Robinson's art class, and there was two Lees and a Gaz, and they they would watch Question Sport every time it was on, and they were the sporty guys, and they knew that I wasn't really a sporty guy at the time, mm-hmm. and they would ask me questions. So who, who 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 won the World Cup in this year? And because I didn't answer, yeah i got it in the neck, yep. you know. And on the walk home, because I walked home, we used to get the bus from school every now and again if, if we'd got some cash on us. Um, I used to walk home and, and used to walk past their junior school. I always remember, I don't know which one of them threw. It threw two pence. And he smacked me right at the side of the head. And as I turned around, I lost, I lost my mind about it. And I went to and he shoved me. This guy's had gone down behind me and I threw me straight over because everybody stands around laughing. Mm. Now, to them, that's quite a throwaway moment. Because they're going to a joke. Oh, yeah, that's laugh and a joke. Yeah, yeah. For me, I then had to go home and I didn't know what I was walking into at home either. So that, t- that trauma, as it would have been, yeah, yeah. just stayed with me. Um, but yeah, if I, I think if I'd have stayed in that school, we hadn't moved again um, and moved to a different sort of town because moved over to Ripley. Um, so I went from Alderker to what, what was Ripley Mill Hill, it was now Ripley Academy. I think it might have gone a different way for me. Um, but when I then move schools, and, and I'd said it before, and you start that new school, and the teacher says, you know, I'm going to put you with this group, this group are fine, you know, and, and all those, you know, all those um, young people are going, yeah, we're, we're, you don't want to hang around with them because they're naughty, you know, and Hannah was one of those, um, and um, you sort of go, well, I don't, I don't want to be picked on, yeah. I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to be a bully, but I'm not going to be picked on. So I'm going to align myself with those people who, and I knew they were because, you know, back in the day in the old towns, I always remember, um, I, just, I always say, I always remember. So i conscious, I listened to one of the podcasts, but I say, I always remember. And I think, do you? So, <laughs> so that means the other day. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't <laughs> the other day. It, the other day. it was it. seven yeah. years yeah, ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I vaguely remember. Um, so one of the first sort of days I was at that school, I started in, the, in just at the end of the summer term, and, um, he, you know, I still speak to him now and we have, we have a laugh and a joke every now and again and he was a lad called Shane and he just walked up and punched me flat out in the stomach in front of everybody and I didn't go down and I didn't hit him back but we had a moment where he was testing me and I knew that him and, and a couple of the others were part of that group mm-hmm. who would, they weren't the toughest but they were a bit untouchable yep, because yep. collectively yep. They're, they, they, they can withstand yep. anything and I aligned myself with them yeah so how did you because this is interesting
0: because obviously in that moment then it's that one of those things where it could have turned nasty you could have then punched him one and that i said it could have gone down another path looking back now how did you navigate everything that was going on i know you said you had no choice there like you basically you literally really had no choice but Mm. like i said you look at some of the kids that you're working with now yeah it's very easy to fall down another path yeah how did you because again talking to you now you're very very level-headed like you, you, you've clearly got your head screwed on and I imagine back then is when you were kind of processing all of this stuff. How did you process this and how did you kind of develop into the person that you are now? Because like you said, there's a lot of trauma there. Mm. A lot of kids, sorry, a lot of adults have carried their trauma from childhood yeah. into adulthood. Yeah. What have you done to work on that trauma
1: to make sure that you, you now don't pass it on to your kids? Um, as, a, as a child, as a child who's dealing with um, sort of trauma at home, Um, because I think when when I started that school, my father had gone to prison, so we were having to have those conversations with school and I didn't want people to know. Um, You become hypervigilant and you become really hypersensitive to all the things that are going on around you. Um, And so you can hear a comment that somebody said the other side of the room that might paranoially be aimed at you. Mm -hmm. So then you have to chameleon over and deal with that. And then there'll be a group of lads over there who have, you think they're, they're looking at me in a bit of a funny way, and then they start walking over. So you then have to be the chameleon and move again. And and young people that are in that in that type of hyper vigilance are so aware of their surroundings mm-hmm. that they are able to. It's like the predator approach, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. You know, you, you camouflage yourself wherever it is you you are. Um, and that's what I started doing, you know? And, and when I was with, you know, I was talking to somebody who who was quite knowledgeable about something, I would I would be a certain person. And then when I was with the friends who were the, the sort of the, the tough guys, I was the tough guy. Mm. You know, when I was at home, I was, you know, me, me recluse playing with Super Nintendo in my bedroom or going out and, you know, in the end, you know, taking drugs and doing whatever I was doing. And the coping mechanism came for me I think because I was so hyper vigilant, because I was so hypersensitive to everything that was going on around me somebody then offers you resin yeah alright you know I was smoking anyway my mum gave me my first cigarette mm. when my dad went to prison I was yeah. told you know <laughs> and just handed me one back bottom of Nottingham where Broadmarsh is. she just leant back we were sat in a brown for granada and she just gave me this cigarette and so I started smoking so it was a natural thing because smoking was already a comfort thing yeah the kids I hung around with at school were smokers. And then a couple of those branched off into, you know, this weekend we've been smoking this. And do you want some? And that that's when that sort of took over for me as well. Yep. So that was a, a trope. That was a, a coping mechanism for me to be able to see through that sort of period, couple of years yeah. where things were really hotting up and we dad had come out of prison. They were always at the pub and, and we never had any money. Bailey was knocking at the door and it was just... Just relentless, constant, relentless. It was like somebody stood in front of you, punching you, you know, gut punching you constantly. When you think you're settled, something else will happen, you know. So, going from that, I decided that because my health probably would have failed. And I remember a GP telling me that if you carry on, you're going to do I got arrested, you know, I, got, well, I didn't get kicked out of school. Thank goodness they let me do my exams. Yep. Um, but I just recognized in myself that I needed to do something and the I joined the fair. Yep. <laughs> so that, that's how I did it. A friend of mine was already working on the fair, so I joined the fair. Um, that got me out of the bubble that I was in at the time although some of the fair lads were smoking drugs and doing what they were doing, I didn't because it was, you were never... You could, with you could
0: go there's a different version of you, like you, you go yeah. in there, so you don't have to be a smoker or do this. And I worked hard, yeah. you
1: know, I worked hard. I worked £70 a week living on pot noodles every night, you know, um, but I worked really hard, but because you were on a ride or there was a few rides in your little circle, you'd go for, it was a travelling fair, so you'd go from one place to another, so you didn't stay in any one place long enough to form those sort of allegiances yep. you wouldn't ex, you know there's so many different fair rides knocking around the country you won't be with the same guys from one night to the next yep. to be fair you could be in Swansea one night Cardiff the following night sleeping in the back of a lorry you know you were busy and that broke my cycle and then going back in and I, I alluded to it in the podcast I did at the old farm boss with Mikey going back in and going back into the social housing estate and watching everybody do the same thing, it would have been so easy for me just to go in. straight back into it. Yep. And I just didn't want to. I just thought, I don't, want, I don't want to be that person. I'd seen not a different life, it was because working on the fair is not easy. Yeah. Um, you've been to different areas, I imagine. So you've been to different
0: areas mm. that weren't where you were and I know you travelled a bit anyway but travelling as a kid going through school to school to school dealing mm. with that trauma mm. you're not really experiencing where you are because as you said you don't stay there long enough to really make any connections I imagine you're just like well we're going to move it move soon so you kind yeah. of but then actually as a fair as a young adult you can actually kind of oh this is what this area looks like yeah, you're going to sit for a night but then you go back to where you were and you're like it's a bit of a
1: yeah, yeah, a bit, yeah, yeah. We, we, did a, we did a thing at, at Lewisham, um, in central London. Yep. And uh, when, when we set up the rides, the police had put all these barricades around, there was security around there. And um, they, they we, we sort of went over to them, we said, um, well, are these to keep us away from the uh, from the, from the locals, as in they? Went, no, that's to keep them away from you because <laughs> you wouldn't stand any of that, yeah. Um, I think even. Even though I moved around, I did because I, I worked um, the Virgin Atlantic summer party in 1996. Um, and I kid you not, on my daughter's life, Richard Branson driving around on his motorised lawnmower you know we was on his cricket in Oxford show on his cricket pitch and he was he was riding around and he, he got free McDonald's for everybody so all of his Virgin Atlantic and Virgin Radio and all that yeah, stuff and yeah. um, they had Virgin Coke at the time yeah, they remember, yeah. Yeah. Um, everybody would come over the course of three nights and they'd have a concert on there were artists that were Virgin you know that were signed, Virgin, yeah, Virgin. Yeah, signed to Virgin they were sort of um, TV celebrities that were signed up to a Virgin contract and they'd all make appearances with free, I say free McDonald's, free pizza hut, free free drinks. And I think you when you see those and You I, see I, a different way of living. Yeah. Like and you you got something to
0: we spoke about this off air. When you're from a small town, you've got a small town mentality, yeah. you see these people on TV, and again you kind of idolise them again. Like, There's normal people. Yeah. Like you, when you hang hanging out with footballers and yeah, like some yeah. people that like yeah. I've coached before, they like the millionaires. Yeah. Completely normal people. But yeah. you see that and you're actually there in real life, you see them, you're like yeah. oh, okay, like I can I can touch you. You're just yeah. there. Like you're real. Yeah. So you can be like, okay, this is a. Di- I, I maybe can't aspire to have that, but it kind of gives you a, a yeah. different benchmark to aim for, rather than being like
1: we mates. Yeah.
0: That are just round the pub.
1: Yeah. yeah. And then you go back to the ride, and then you get up the following morning, and Neil, the guy who's always every season goes back on the fair, and he sits there all depressed, looking. And all he does is he press a button and watch the ride go round. And he's been doing it thirty years and worked for the same guy. You know, lives in has lived in the caravan that that yeah I don't want that yep. you know and then you get so you think well I don't want that I'm not gonna stay on the fair um, I've seen certain sort of aspects of of life and then you go back to your social housing estate because you know you you stop working on the fair and you think I need to get a job Um, so you then you start I started welding um, that I got a YTS so I was a I was a spot welder at a place in Hena I was getting up every morning and cycling to Hena in freezing conditions you know it was it was horrible and i didn't like it and then going back to the social housing estate and arguing with my dad because he was drunk and then watching the the um there was a guy on the estate called Yaka i don't know why they called him Yaka no idea um but he was always the one who was on the roof taking lead and he was always you know weighing in copper and he was always trying to do your deal and smoking weed and doing mm-hmm. whatever he was doing he was that guy him and Wayne um and i just thought no no i'm not doing this Um, And then I went back to college. Um, I thought I've I've got to do something else because in my head, and I was thinking about this on the way here because I was listening back to the podcast that I'd done before in in the week. And in my head, I I think, I kind of thought, What's my future look like? What does my kid's future look like? Is this the same script? Are we gonna that my kid's gonna grow up on a social housing estate? Not that there's anything wrong with that because yeah, yeah. I did and yeah. I made I made the semi-success mm. of my life. Um, am I going to be the dad who who does this who, who who's unhappy with his job and and doesn't feel any level of fulfilment and is that going to pass on to my child? Mm. No, nah, I don't want that either. So what do I do? I've got to change it. I've mm. got to do something with it because it's only in my gift at that point for me to make those changes isn't Mm. it and I was very lucky um, in respect of the the people that worked around me who helped mentor me and helped me mentor other young people and then that springboarded me into certain aspects of work Mm. and then I enjoyed working with youth. I enjoyed working with, you know, d- real disaffected young people. I worked with the top 10 young offenders or those at risk of reoffending offending um, in Derby City, Department of Active Sports Program at the time. So millions of pounds knocking around at that, that part of my life, um, you know, in those areas. And I got such a level of fulfillment and, and grief and loss because mm. some of them didn't do yeah. perhaps as well as I would want them mm-hmm. to do. And you have to accept, and that's a big learning curve. Yeah can't you know you You can't can't win everything can't fix everything Mm. um and then i wanted to do more so i did and I put myself through university. I worked full time, put myself through university and, and just, yeah. And then So what do you I do see. now? What is your job right now? I'm a manager for child, child in care and child protection services for a local authority.
0: So what does your job actually entail right now?
1: My job entails now, um, it, I manage the supervisors of social workers. But I started as a, I started as a community care worker and went my way through social work. So I got qualified to be a social worker. I did many years in child protection. Then I worked in children in care services. Um, And then I went into sort of supervisor level um, and then into manager level. Mm. Because this is the thing with this, this is why I wanted to go into your story first. Like I said, it almost like pre qualifies you for this to be like, (laughs) you can
0: relate to these kids. Like it's like the story you've sort of been through. Like you can notice patterns, I assume, in your own life of some way shape maybe not to like some of these kids have had real extreme things, I imagine. And again far it, worse it, than I Exactly ever experienced. it puts things yeah, into perspective for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. But you can still relate in some way. Like, yeah. like I kind of get what it feels like.
1: I used to find it quite frustrating, if I'm honest. When I first started doing this type of work, um, you know, going into houses where you could see that, you know, dad or mom or both had, had a, you know a real significant issue with alcohol. There was no f- food in the cupboards. You know, f- the kids' shoes were falling off the feet. I mean, the amount of times I, I walked away in tears because you you can't just take those. Shows. No. You've got to leave them there, and you've got to try and work to improve their position, improve their life chances, and their life outcomes, and work with the, you know, work with the parents to make, you know, to, to effect to affect decent change in a child's life. If the parents aren't doing, it, you need to start with the you need to sort yeah. of change the mindset of parents. To be fair, because that's where the imprint comes from. So the first few years of my career was extremely difficult for me because at even doing that career my parents were still using alcohol yep. and they were still at the pub and you'd always phone you knew where they were you know they were always at the pub so it was very difficult did you feel a sense
0: of what what age were these kids you were is uh, it all age ranges or was it more main like teenagers at that time which uh, uh, when you were going when you first started out and you're saying like you'd go, zero to 18 so mm. in a way i don't know if i was over this so we've thought about this did it also hit you harder when you're going into situations where the parents were alcoholics that you were almost trying to quote unquote save yourself in some way, shape, or form? Like you see these kids, you see a bit of yourself in there, and that's potentially why I found it a bit harder because, like you said, your parents were back at home, like still using the alcohol, and it's almost like there's a bit of you in that kid that wants to do more, but you can't because you've got certain things you can and can't do. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, very frustrating because yeah. we're, we're statutory, you know, that we're, 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 we're bound by governance Mm. um you know where whereas i suppose in the work that i was doing with the active sports program working with the teenagers um i wasn't although we were governed because there was funding streams you had to you know you had to or that was just prior to dbs check or sold crb check you had had to be police checked you had all that sort of stuff the gloves were kind of off you could tailor what you were doing to assist a young person to make a positive change whereas in the, in the realms of local authority, rightly so, we, we're yeah. governed, yeah. Um, we have statutory obligations, things we can and can't do. You can't, I mean, p- people think of a social worker, they think the child snatcher off Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. not. Yeah. Um, you know, I could, I could talk forever about what social work actually is. Um, but you go into those situations and you see young people who are really, really struggling. They might not be at risk there and then of, of imminent death or whatever, but they're suffering. And There's are you to trying to preempt what could happen? Yeah. So, so what is your job then? You said they we talked for hours.
0: If you could summarize, what is it? That you, what is the job yeah. of a social worker? Because as you said, social worker, most people think you're basically taking the kids away from parents. In my head, yeah. it's not. What you're trying to do yeah, is no, you're no. trying to stop that from happening yeah. at all costs yeah. by putting things in place to get the parents in a good place to actually be good parents. Because as you fundamentally spoke about a little bit off air, like, you've got to think the scripts, the family scripts. Yeah. If their parents, again, you say, so look at like, uh, so again, let's say your dad, his dad potentially was in the war, That's all mm. of age. So you've got to look at the kind of stuff that has gone on through there. And if it wasn't mm. him, then his dad was definitely in the war. Yeah. So you've got to look at what's been passed down. So fundamentally, if the kids, sorry, if the parents don't know, they don't know. Yeah. They don't know how to actually parent. And they're fundamentally doing the best with what they know. And it may be shambolic to us lot. That can see it to them, absolutely, but to them, Absolute but chaos, to them yeah. they may some of them may not have a clue that this is chaos. And does that make sense? Like, yeah, abs- so yeah, so with yeah, this, yeah. Like, what, how, like, what's, what's the what, what do you do? Like, what's the actual thing? The, 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 if you could summarize it,
1: I protect children, yeah. that's my job. How, um, by what by in by empowering their parents to make positive changes. And what's that look like? Because I get even with this, like, listen to this, my audience listening to this, yeah, like.
0: Hopefully, no one's listening to this podcast, and unless ha especially happens to them, maybe happens to them in, in childhood. But it's it's giving parents information now. So, like, so, so how do you empower? Like, how how do you help parents be better parents in this situation? Because we spoke about this off, off air. When you get kids that are sixteen, 17, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year olds, yeah, and they're troublesome kids, everyone blames the kids, yeah. But it's not. It comes fundamentally down to parents. Yeah. So how do you help these parents become empowered, especially I assume if they don't want to be or well, take no responsibility?
1: So re- rewind slightly. So the work that the, that I've I've done and and have started to continue to do in sort of working with the youth. Um, we're working one to one with young people. Um, and where. You know, Mike is Mike's organization. They do the same. You know, and you work with young people whose home life is a certain way. And what, you, what, what used to happen is there was um, sort of the, the charitable stuff, so the Sport England stuff and the New Deal stuff and all those things. There was a funding stream you used to work you know, in the communities with young people. There was the early help services. So if there was a parent or set of parents or carers who perhaps needed some advice on parenting, um, they were struggling with with the child's um, behaviour or they were struggling with teenage behaviour, that level was there as well. And then the more serious aspect, when children were sort of at risk of, of harm or ongoing significant harm, as the term is, um, that's when social workers come in yeah. and we we have to work quite intensively with parents to address issues around alcohol, drug misuse, mental health, domestic abuse.
0: So you're quite far on down the chain, almost. Like there's,
1: not anymore. We're not because the last sort of ten to twelve years of funding cuts means that our early help services are depleted to a point where. Some of the work that my staff do and some of the work I do because I, I case hold still I do some yeah. so still still like to case hold and I still like to go and do visits and make sure that I can keep my sort of hand in yeah, at the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. cold face um, is the parenting aspect you know um, where parents will, will naively think well he's not behaving he's not sleeping at night you need to take him with you well that's not how it works um, and then right at the other end dealing with really complex. Young people who have suffered significant level of trauma, where they're attempting to take their own life. There's a multi-agency, um, you know, involvement with them. They're hospitalised. They're 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 you know they're in prisons, youth well, youth offending institutions. So it goes from one extreme to another now because because certain aspects that were there, or certain uh, sort of tiers of support is no longer there. We have to be this overarching. Sort of, and that must be frustrating because it's like you're almost like a, a jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing. Like rather yeah. than
0: being specific at like, this is what we're doing. Like when the kids are yeah. really suffering, this is what we're good at. Or yeah. with the parents, this is what we're good at. It's almost like, your resources are so spread thin. Yeah, you kind of can't actually narrow down and like, this is the thing. It's like, damn, we've got all these things. Like, and you don't really know what you're going to get one day to the next. No, I want to go back because I didn't know we we're going to go down this, this this rabbit hole here. Like, because I want we'll go back to the parents thing, and yeah. then I want to go into the 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 other extreme and talk about the kids as well because yeah. I think that's a big thing with that. Like the frustration for me about the lack of help with kids struggling with mental health is disturbing. So we'll we'll go, we'll go, we'll we'll, we'll go in a rabbit hole there. When it comes to the parents then, like you said, so you've got the parents that are generally struggling. How do you actually empower them then? So you go to this place and the parents are literally like, the kid's not sleeping, you take them away. Like how do you help educate a parent like that? Because I imagine that's, you're trying to undo years potentially it's our life their yeah. way of thinking this is how parenting should be
1: yeah well you come at it with the aspect that, that, that people are experts in their own lives aren't they you mm-hmm. know I'm not an expert in your life you know your life and your history and all that sort of stuff way, way more than I do I might have a general understanding of what family scripts and systemic type stuff is and, and when I may say systemic what impacts you know, what could negatively impact you as a person, Mm -hmm. what could positively impact you as a person. And part of our role is to try and tease out those aspects and try and steer somewhere where actually you do recognize that drinking three bottles of wine a night is not only gonna negatively impact your health and your mental health, but in turn, your health, mental health, the fact you haven't got any money for food is also gonna impact your child and therefore your child's suffering harm as a result of what you're doing. Um, there's the extreme ends of things where, you know, um, you know, perpetrators of domestic violence, so, um, you know, uh, dad hits mom in mm. front of child, or, you know, they used to be. It's only sort of relatively 15, 20 years where domestic abuse is now so prevalent that we understand the impact that that has on a child, even mm. screaming at each other through a wall. You know, kids can still hear kids it. Kids can still hear that. And there's a study, and I can't for the life to remember the, 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 the author that did it, but it, kids in utero can, can feel that level of volatility and aggression and well, um, of course it doesn't make perfect sense because the mother, like if, literally the mother and the child are one. Absolutely. So if the mother's stressed, that stress hormone absolutely. goes into the child. Yeah, and absolutely. so like, obviously
0: people know that this is a bizarre thing about how the body works. I've had some amazing guests on talking about energies and mm. all that sort of stuff. Mm. But you fundamentally look at it, like you understand, well most people understand that that if you're smoking where or taking any sort of drugs and you've got a baby, the baby will be affected by that. Yep. Again, to the extremes of literally coming out addicted yep. to just having some mild things. But then we don't talk about like, the actual th- the hormones that yeah. are coursing through our body. Yeah. The fact of if you get anxious and get like, that, 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 that feeling in your stomach, yeah. that, that fight or flight response. Yeah. When you're coursing those hormones of adrenaline and cortisol through your body, the baby's getting that as well. Yeah. So then you have this baby that's already predisposed to being an anxious wreck. Mm. And then their whole entire life growing up in that environment as well. And mm. it, for me, is that like people it normally talks about that effect of the mental health of the
1: mother in and of itself as well. Yeah. And, and then what you'll see is you, you'll see certain aspects of, you know, they're, they're, they're not, their speech and language might be delayed. Um, you know, their fine motor skills aren't, aren't to the point where their peers might be at a certain age. Some of that is about what they've they've may well experienced in utero. Some of that is also around, um, you know, neglect, all that sort of yeah. stuff. So, so right from sort of you know pre-birth all the way through to sort of the imprint years, you know, sort of five, six, and beyond to sort of teenage type behaviours. Because if you're a young person, and what we what one of the conversations that I used to have with with parents when I was at the coalface of work is, you know, you're doing this now. The research shows and the evidence shows that if you carry on, your your child is going to make, you know, poor educational choices. They're not going to achieve in certain aspects of education. They're going to make poor life choices because that's the research. Trying to get a parent to understand that because not everybody's a social worker, mm. not everybody's a psychologist, um, you know, trying to get them to understand that is an extremely time-labor situation to be in mm. as a worker, um, and there isn't enough of us to do Because like what you the said job. there, it's
0: like you're, you're going into this case, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to essentially psychoanalyse this parent about, about what makes you tick. Mm. What is this world you're living in? Yeah. And again, if that parent mentally isn't okay, every time you see them, there could be a different version of them that's coming I'm not talking necessarily about personality safety, yeah. I'm talking about if they're depressed, yeah. so you've caught them on a day where they're severely depressed. Yeah. You're trying to read this person's, well, what makes them tick, mm. and then you've got to go away. That then person thinks, well, that Jay's a bit of a weirdo, and yeah. then carries on doing what they were doing. Yeah. And then you come back in the next day, and you're trying to talk to them and like, okay, they maybe give you a bit, and then you go, wait, that Jay's a bit of a weirdo, yeah. and nothing really gets done with it. It's yeah. like, but then you're trying to get them to use their language, get them to understand in a way that sort of they do. Yeah, uh, it's like um, um, uh, one of Mike's trying a comment for the life of me who it is. Uh, Martin Lingworth is that the one about the fish, the fishing story? Is that his, Is that him? Yeah so about like um, about talking about a school teacher basically got this kid who's sort of struggling he finds out the kid likes fishing so mm. he relates everything into the fishing and then, he, then that's how he connects with that child yeah. so sort of the same thing like what makes his parent tick yeah. that I can use that to actually help them and again people don't realise that is very hard to do like, very that is like hard psychological but you're doing it from a person that's potentially very resistant to it and you're basically insulting their parenting skills and
1: has had years because that might be how they were parenting yeah and, and know, they think they're doing a great script. job they think they're
0: doing a great job they yeah. genuinely they genuinely think well this is what I have to put it with like yeah. I I got hit, so there's no form of me hitting this kid. Yeah. That, and you're trying to explain to them, No, 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 you kinda can't, can't do that. It's gonna No no but yeah. this one to me. I'm okay. I didn't go to school. I'm okay so Jay, I'm, uh, Jay, to be, I'm yeah. okay. Who are you to tell me I'm a bad dad because I hit my son? Absolutely. And it's like then yeah. straight away you're trying to relate to it to but like, no no but listen, like because yeah. then you're then trying to make them admit in a way that they aren't okay yeah. and that that's affected them and again that is like therapy level stuff yeah. that people pay hundreds of thousands of pounds to unpick yeah. Yeah. and you probably go in there and try and do it yeah. I'm guessing in probably an hour and you probably see them every two weeks or something like that I'm not, I, I mean know, yeah what I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> trying to say is that your job is extremely difficult what yes. you've actually got to try and do is you don't have as like you said the resources or the time to sort of do it it's like how, how
1: do you do it? Because I'm getting, I'm getting like, I'm like how, the more I'm talking about it, I'm like, mate, that's really difficult. It's, it's, it's very hard because I've worked up and down the country. So, you know, when, when I talk about casework, I, I, I'm not talking about any any sort of specific authority. I've worked up and down the country. But it's, it's an extremely difficult situation to do. I mean, some of my workers and, and some of the work that I've done, you know, you're, you're visiting families where the police will visit in threes and you're going on your own. Um, And you're potentially telling a father that the way in which you're treating your children and your wife or partner um, is going to detrimentally impact your child's future, both emotionally, financially, physically, in the future. Um, And if you don't stop, we may well be going down the line of, can your child live with you? And the police visit them in threes so you've not just got the aspect of trying to get them around to the way of thinking because their way of thinking is their way of thinking yeah. and sometimes sadly you can't get them there so you have to enact other plans you have to look at other as- other options for the, for these children bless them um, but it's a very very there's no right or wrong at social sciences you work with humans mm. you know i've worked with a, i work with a guy up north one day he was absolutely fine then he'd have had he'd have had he'd have smoked his way through the evening you know with with his psychedelics and then the following day he was a paranoid schizophrenic mess you know how do i work with that That, that's a long period of time and sometimes you can't it's got to be done in the time frame that's right for the child ultimately because you're there to protect children and if you think well that's you know, it's going to take such a long period of time. How else do we in, involve yeah. ourselves or the courts involve ourselves or the police involve us in themselves. And that's when you have a multi-agency type approach. Yeah. Who's going to do what schools are involved, health involved, police are involved, you know, um, child mental health services are involved to try and work on that situation whilst we're trying to work on that situation whilst we're also involving other other family members who might be a positive influence mm. on them to try and do what we call like a family group conferencing yeah. and type stuff to try and steer it because the social worker is only one person yeah. and they've probably got a caseload of, of, of above 15 to 20 and it used to be years ago we had 30, 32 I had 40 cases at one point you know but I imagine though back in the day like you said when you had
0: the other supports in place those 30 may have been easier to manage. Could because, refer to. Yeah, yeah because you, you, you know, you, you're getting them after yeah. they've sort of done certain things. So you kind of know, well, I know what I'm dealing with here now. Yeah. You're doing the job of all those things. So yeah. you've got all these cases, and you're like, I, you don't know what you're going to get with it. It's like, you've got to put different hats on different things, and it's like...
1: Yeah. yeah. There's never the same day. You know, the, the, you'll get the same... I mean, we've, we've had casework come through in my career where, you know, I remember when I first started out working with the parents, you know, because the script didn't change. And they just carried on. And then those teenagers I worked with, then I went on and had kids. And they didn't change that behavior or, or they went even further with that behavior. So I'm now working with the kids of the kids that I worked with years ago. Yeah. You know, that's really hard pill to swallow, that is, because my, we, we failed. Yeah. You know, and, and I say that in the broadest terms because we only failed because. Of the time, labour, and the, and the the lack of resources that goes into something like that, um, we didn't fail as as an individual because we did what we could with yep. the time we've got. And a lot of social workers will work well into the night. They'll be writing court. I've written court reports at two o'clock in the morning because I know it needs to go somewhere the following day. You know, we've we've worked to the point where our own children are being you know put to bed by a childminder because we're protecting other children. Yep. You know, and and that's a really also a really hard thing for a social worker to deal with because actually sometimes you're working round the clock um, to make sure that children are safe the higher end cases yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah, yeah, yeah. about but even that is a very time laborious process to go through let me flip this up a bit then
0: because I didn't want to go down well I didn't going to go through. <laughs> how do you look after your mental health in that situation because that's a lot to carry on your shoulders, and you've got fucking big shoulders. That's a lot to carry on your shoulders (laughs) to know that, like I said, potentially your daughter, like, (laughs) neglect's the wrong word, but it's like, because she's child mind or something like that, so you know you're like, I'm not being the best dad today, Mm. because I can't. But I know I'm doing the best thing for that. So then what you've got is that little bit of guilt, it's like, (sighs) that, and Mm. then you've got to deal with this, And then you've got to deal with the other case you've got coming up. And then you've got that one that kind of looked like this, that kind of didn't quite work out a few years ago. You've got all this stuff going on inside your head. How do you stay mentally strong? Because that is, even just me describing that right now, I'm like, that's a lot to, like, to carry. How do you make sure that your mental health's okay? And how do you make sure your team, because now you're at the top, like, like you've got people beneath you. Yeah. How do you, and again, I know this is a very loaded question here, how do you make sure that yourself and your team's mental health is okay dealing with, Essentially the worst of the worst in some cases, yeah. with lack of time, support, and finances. Like, how do you deal with that?
1: With a great deal of difficulty. Yeah. And um, that was a very
0: loaded question. And again, we there's been no preloaded questions here. No, so this, no, is, I'm, all, I'm this is all on the coffee because it's yeah. like the more you're talking, I'm like, mate, like that I can see how very easily you can be not okay mentally with that because there's a lot
1: on your shoulders there well i um so my, my eldest lives with me my my youngest lives with a mom so my eldest has lived with me for for a great many years and um we and there were those times where i felt i've i've not i've not done right i've not i wasn't here um there's one point where i was working at a, a local authority but i was i was leaving at six in the morning because the work was so difficult um, and I was getting back at 8 o'clock at night. Um, my partner at the time would, would would be putting her to bed and doing all that sort of stuff. And I felt awful. But the older she got, the more honest I was with her about why I do what I do. Um, and that paid dividends in a way. Um, because I, I don't talk case specific. I wouldn't tell her yeah, the yeah. gory details of stuff I read and see on on a daily basis. But you know, I'm really sorry that Dad's not. I wasn't here last night. However, you know, today we're going to go and do this and going to do that. And she resented me. She did resent me as an absent father for you know mm. I never see you. You know, and and she was right. She didn't at one point because I was, you 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 become, you become sort of so spread thin because you're trying to protect all these children as well as trying to protect the emotional welfare of your own child. But explaining to her that there are children out there who, who need somebody like dad uh, and dad's colleagues to help them be as successful as you and as wonderful as you and positive reinforcement about who she is as a person. Um, that helps, that helps her. And it helped me because I knew that she was getting it, you know, right at that spongy stage where she was taking it all on. um, I also, we, we had hobbies that we do together. So we do martial arts together. You know, I tried to get her into the gym. She wasn't interested <laughs> in that. Um, you know, but I take a real interest in her schoolwork, as it was now she's at college. So, I, you know, I always remember, and, and I, I said it, I think I said it on the podcast I did, Mikey, with Jamie. And I said, you know, one of the biggest telltale signs is now with my daughter, who's she's 18 in December, is when she, I come home and she asks me about my day. Mm. And I go, oh, dad's stable. Do you have any meetings? Because, you know, she thinks i just sit in meetings. Um, she's probably right. Um, and I'll tell her about my meetings. I won't go into detail, but I said, oh, I had this meeting with, you know, Carol. And, and I'm, she comes into work sometimes and she'll have lunch with me at my office mm. and she'll meet my, my teams and they all dote on her as well. I've even had the dog in the office, mm. you know, with, with my daughter. Um, but she once said to me, oh, I've done this today, but I know you're not interested and that that hit home. Yeah. And I had to stop and go, No, I am interested. Mm. And I'm not arty. She's art and graphics. Yep. I'm none of that. Um, I like looking at art for a split yep. second yep. and then I move on. Uh, I think Mickey Flanagan said, I can do an art uh, I could do an art exhibition in two minutes flat. Yeah. There's, <laughs> a we- there's a weather down the yeah. way. Um but that's you know, but I I, I probably had to retrain myself that I need to be who she needs me to be as well. Mm. Um and that is really energetic when you've got a job like mine, yeah. but it, it works and I'm exhausted with it all. I'll be honest with yeah. you. I am exhausted, but it's an, it's an exhaustion that gives me a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment Absolutely. because I've protected who I've protected at work. And now I protect, obviously, you know, I don't just protect and, and have a, a hand in protecting young people and children. I also, you know, help protect my staff's mental health and do yeah. all of that sort of stuff. Um, but I also, that sense of fulfillment that my daughter has grown to be a very, uh, and my 10-year-old is as well, she's getting yeah. there, um, a very well-rounded and very balanced individual. You know, she, she knows what she has is not what everybody has. Um, she relishes in what she, the opportunities that she has had, and we've we've been on holidays and travelled yeah. yeah. and done all that sort of stuff. Um, so she knows, or she she doesn't know, she understands that. Although we're not massive millionaires, she's had a quite a privileged set of circumstances yeah. afforded by somebody that works extremely hard to protect other children. Yeah. So in a in a sort of misguided way, she sort of benefited from. The work that I do and the background that I've got, yeah. because I'm not the dad who will shout and scream, and I've never sort of hit my child, you know, and I've always talked through things, you know. Um, you know, being a single dad of a of a teenage girl, that's very difficult. Communication is you know. definitely going wow. to be the key. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, certain things that they talk about, certain things that they want to talk about, certain things that they you, they don't think you want to talk about. Because I'm a I'm a sort of forty odd year old male, and I'm dad. They might be embarrassed to talk to me about actually i've got her to a position where she's she's comfortable enough to tell me anything awesome. and she does yeah um so i'm comfortable in who she and and, and my youngest ones are you know they're tr- the chalk and cheese the two different people um but i'm very comfortable with who they've turned out to be um i have no worries or concerns about their future emotionally mm-hmm. um i've shouldered all the things that i needed to shoulder as a dad mm-hmm. so as- how have you dealt with that then so, 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 with you, yeah. So, so,
0: <laughs> so like I said, so, so with all the stuff that you've got, like, yeah. how have you dealt with your mental health in this? Because I said your, your job is stressful. How, how do you make sure that you are mentally okay? Because it is very hard when you're in it to make sure that you're okay, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. obviously, you, you can see your team when they're struggling, but who checks yeah. in on you? Essentially, what I'm asking, do you check on you? Like, what stuff have you got to make sure that you're in a good headspace? Um,
1: for many years, I checked in on myself. I grew up in a situation where I was hyper-vigilant hyper-sensitive and and was was living in a world of trauma. I'm quite a resilient individual and I think that stood me in good stead to cope with what I cope with on a day-to-day basis now. Not everyone. I wouldn't want that for everybody and that's not how you'd want to build resilience, of course. But it has. It's made me, it's moulded me and it's... it's, um, You know, it's, uh, what was it, Arnold Schwarzenegger said, you know, you're just a lump of clay and you just chip away at the clay. And it's the same thing about your human body. It's also the same thing about your mind. You've got to train your mind to be a certain way. And if you're imprint from those spongy years of sort of seven to sort of 18, you know, you learn to be resilient. Things won't phase me. Perhaps they might phase the person sat Mm. next to me. Um, My brother, for instance, who was older than me, lived at his, his, his friends most of the time. He'll say, I couldn't do your job. I couldn't do what you do. Well, okay but I wouldn't expect you to. And you know, he's a lorry driver. Couldn't drive around in circles all day either. You know, I don't want to do that, but that's built a level of resilience in me where I don't need much in terms of being able to have an outlet. So I go to the gym most days. Um, I've done many years of martial arts, you know, and I've done that with my children as well. Um, And they've got enjoyment. I've seen them be very successful. And I've been very successful in competitions and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, and I, I just, I like my, I'm, I'm all right in my own skin, yeah. to be fair.
0: That's an interesting thing. Like I said, most people couldn't do what you do. Mm. But you can do what you do because life has happened. I've got that, that this, a saying, like life happens, well, I say, I've i got a saying from Tony Robbins' original, life happens for you, not to you. Mm. It's, like, it's like this whole thing, yeah. everything's happened, it's happened for you to be this person yeah. so that you could be moulded into this, this super J to essentially be, to essentially be this can like protector, <laughs> like, to, to be this like to be this, <laughs> to be this protector of these kids. Because yeah. I said to do what you do, like you have to be a certain kind of person. But you mm. are now to do some of these kids, and I, I use the word deliberately super J because you are literally like Superman to some of these kids. You're going in and genuinely making such an impact, mm. and you can only do that because of the stuff that's happened to you. Mm. And I think that's such a massive thing that people don't realise. Like, yeah. and like I said to you earlier on, like your ability to actually communicate with people and chameleon. Like you as a person, like I literally met you at the door. Straight away, I felt like ease in your company. That's Thank you. Yeah. The, the art of communication is yeah. uh, is very lost within people. In fact, you can now communicate with your daughter on that level. Yeah. Everything's happened to you in that childhood. Like I said, it, it's made you who you are now. It's made you very, very good at your job, yeah. which a lot of kids we thankful for, and a lot of your team we thankful for as well. Because you're clearly the kind of person that like is a very solid physically and mentally as a person. that like, you're very, very broad, very strong. You can, you can, you can handle a lot. Yeah. I
1: think a lot of people don't have that in their life. That person that's yeah. that can handle it. If that makes sense. But I think I think those people that don't have those that don't have that in their life do need people around them. To be that as well, yeah. and I'm comfortable in. For certain people, I am that person. I've got friends who will turn to me, and I'll only ever hear from them when life's gone down the pan. Yep. You know, yeah, but, but, mate, mate, same with me. And I'm okay. Yeah, 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 and I'm okay with that. You know, because you know you, you, you'll always be my friend, whether I see you every five days or every five months. If something goes up the shitter, I'm still here for but you. People, I don't think people understand because I've had before. And people are like, but they only torture when they're struggling It's like, I'm, yeah. I'm not, like.
0: I'd rather them talk to me when they're struggling, than I find out something's happened to them. It sounds bizarre, like I I literally literally get people that don't, and they'll mesh me out of the blue, like I'm really struggling, can we we go for a walk? And I will literally drive two hours to go and have a chat with them, because I know they're struggling. It's like, I don't mind doing that because, it's like I know that I can help burden that. People say to me sometimes, and again, I'm not perfect all the time. Like, I do generally sometimes struggle. Like, yeah. Mike my, knows my own struggle. Like, I, I did struggle um, a couple of months ago with some stuff that gone on. It got too much for me. That wasn't my job. That was an external Yeah. That because I was doing my job and I was giving so much energy there, I didn't have the defenses to, to deal with that, if that makes sense. But yeah, I will absolutely. always be able to shoulder that burden yeah. because you kind of almost put that barrier up to be like, I can help you here and you keep protecting yourself in the same way. Same, same way if I'm you're protecting yourself yeah. while you're helping another
1: person. And part of that is is the is the hypervigilance and hypersensitivity. So I can walk into a team room and I manage a number of teams now and a number of staff. And I can walk into the team room and i I can tell an atmosphere's changed. I can tell if somebody's struggling, you know, and I've had some really good managers in my time, you know, in, in all aspects of my in every job I've had, I've had some really good managers, I've had some really poor managers. Uh, managers that were very sort of process led statisticians you know this needs to be done that needs to be done this needs to be done Uh, i i have to have a balance and if if my staff so going how i i assist my staff for instance if my staff can see that i have a balance yes you need to get that done of course you need to get that done but i also understand that actually you drop your toast this morning, it landed a butter side down. And that's really pissed you off. Mm. So, and that's the systemic angle because anything, you know, any day, any point, uh, any point in the day can impact the next seven minutes, seven hours, seven days. It can mm-hmm. because people internalize things absolutely differently. Yep. So I have to understand that both at home in my personal life and at work, I'm, w- I'm working in social sciences, I'm working with people and they could have not slept very well they could have had a, you know uh, a car breakdown or a puncture on the way to work they could have received a very nasty phone call from a parent you know they could realize that they're slightly behind on the paperwork and be panicking about how to get that done so and especially during the pandemic for instance where we were so we weren't we weren't together and you know how do you build resilience with people who aren't together and the to, you know and and I put on these sessions every Friday, well-being, I call them well-being sessions, every Friday from three till five. And that was a safe space for them to come in on teams and sit there and just talk about the weekend, yeah. vent about something, have a discussion about things that were bothering them. Um, it's tailed off now because we're now back in the office and people are bouncing. It's lovely to see yeah. the bat, And I've spent probably more time in the office, in the, in the team rooms than I should. I should be at my desk doing my job. But I, I'm, I'm you understand pe- the importance of it though. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm present in the room and I was I was there today and I'd done a, a big drive and then I did a meeting and then I just sat in the team room and somebody was talking about something and I took an interest, you know, and I think taking an interest in each other, not necessarily being a supervisor or, or the or the manager of that, that service, taking an interest in each other, so you know, the social aspect of it means the world to them and they can go away on a Friday and know that they've had a conversation I'm interested in, you know, how their son or the daughter's doing. You said know, you said you got sports day. How did that go? You know, and um. they're heard. Absolutely. Actually, and that's yeah. the thing, like they heard, they're yeah. not just doing all this job and Jay's just their boss, like actually Jay actually cares.
0: Yeah. I, I mentioned in passing two weeks ago, my kid had a sports day and it was in two weeks time and Jay's in two weeks time gone, oh yeah, by the way. Yeah, like, I didn't get th- on. Yeah. Th- that, that means more to people than being like, oh, do you want to do, do an extra grand a month? Obviously yeah. money goes a long way, yeah, but yeah. money only gets you so far. It's that actual connection with people yeah. actually showing that someone actually cares. I think fundamentally, if we sort of go back, again, very cautious of time here, but go back to what we're going to talk about, about the, the, from the kid's angle here, I think that's a big thing that, like, lack of not being seen and heard. Yeah, I think it's one of the biggest fundamental things that kids struggle with when they are in that bad place mentally. And they can be easily manipulated by gangs or the other vices yeah. that are out there. It's that lack of connection almost. And we spoke about the, the father figure. Yeah, I think a lot of the stuff I spoke to when I go to inner city schools and I work with them, the teachers, they've got such a bad relationship with women. Yeah. The way they talk to women, but if they've got a young headmaster that comes in, they're actually more respectful to him. Yeah. And it's normally because, again, very stereotyping here that most of these troubled kids that are there, single parents, they live with their mum, they've got no respect for, 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 they've got no male role model, yeah. they've got no one to sort of to have that male figure. Yeah. They then go to school, they yeah. teach them, they're females as well, and there's just like, there's no male role model there to actually yeah. help them, show them what it means to actually be a man, a positive. Yeah male role model. Yeah.
1: But on the flip side of that, I also work with uh, young people who who are extremely, so young males who have absolutely no respect for males at all because the male role models they've had in their life have been volatile, aggressive, drug users, you know, alcoholics and, and they accept the work from a female rather than a male and actually the male workers they've had they've pushed and shoved and been quite volatile so they're still following that aggressive script but it's easier for them to work with or they feel it's easy, and they'll tell you it's easier for me to work with a a woman than a man because I don't trust men you know and finding those niches with young people and we're so quick in society to label young people Mm. um, you know bullies um, you know damaged um, you know all the other sort of Aspects or, or labels that you could find, you know, on, on a Primark shelf, for instance, mm. you'll label your... Adults do it probably more than, more than other children, to I be agree, fair. Yeah. And actually, there's a narrative behind how somebody has arrived at a certain point. And the ability to understand the narrative... And then the the motivation to change that narrative will make a huge difference to that child's life, regardless of what's going off at home. That's why the old farm bus, the work that they do, I I mean last night, I was there last night and I love I wouldn't the miss it. The kids were awesome, aren't they? Like yeah. Wouldn't I, miss it for the world. W- we were there last night and there's some you know, and I know some of these because there's some tough kids there, you know, and Is the same crowd from when I was there, Michael? It was a different crowd. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So exactly, I've, I've done it. Yeah. yeah. And do you know what? So you know, we were playing football with them and we we're doing what they're doing. They're doing often the little activities, and we just stood there, and it was getting quite fresh. Um, you know, real difference to last Monday where we had just didn't do it because it was too, too hot. Hard, yeah. And then they were all were running around, and we sort of said, "What are they doing?" And they were playing hide and seek. They're hmm. just playing hide and seek. You know, we would given them that space to just be kids. So at home, they will be on a, on a phone or an iPad if, they, if they're fortunate enough to have them or they might be listening to something that they don't want to be listening to or they might be sat in the room on their own. But giving them a safe space, just watching them and just, you know, yeah, play hide and seek, of course you can. And one of the one of the uh, the, the adults there, you know, they said, you, you can be on, you can find us. And just, I was stood with, with Chrissy and we were saying, look at this lot. Just playing hide and seek, which is something I've not seen a group of children do for a very, very long time. Yeah. So not labeling them and allowing them the freedom of expression and not boxing them off like we do in all aspects of society, to be fair, not yep. just children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And allowing that freedom of expression and allowing them to do what would come naturally to them worked. And there needs to be so much more of that. That's what we're lacking in society now, is those safe spaces for young people to be young people, for children to be children. Running intrinsically with all that sort of stuff is the social media aspect. There was a statistic on the way here, and stuff like that sticks in my mind. You're going to spend 22 years of your life on social media. So a quarter of your life you're going to spend on social media. That's the statistic on the news on the way here. Well, that's massive. And the influences that social media has on young people Mm -hmm. and what is expected of them, combat that with what's happening at home, what's happening at school, and all the labels that come with that. You're not wearing this. You're not doing that. You're not TikTok famous. You're not doing all this sort of stuff. I think the pressure on our young people now is Far greater than it's ever been in terms of, la- and, and they label themselves because it's not like when we were growing up at school,
0: especially you, because obviously you're how old you? Forty now? Forty two. Forty two. Yeah. So again, you're like ten years older than me, eleven years older than me. Like even for mi- that it's, out, so, no, it's even like we're looking at our age, the difference in in us growing up at school. Yeah. Like when we were getting bullied, we were only comparing ourselves to the kids in our school. Yeah. Now the kids are comparing themselves to the fourteen-year-old millionaire on YouTube. Yeah. So it's literally the 0.01%, yeah. the anomaly, the outside, the outlier. Yeah. But the kids are now judging themselves on that. So they're now not only judging themselves on how they are in their own school, yeah. they now think they're a loser in the entire world. Yeah. And it's a very, very dangerous social media. has got a lot to answer for. I think it's positive. There's a lot of positives. Yeah. But it's so unregulated with the younger lot it can be so so toxic. We talk about that narrative, the voice inside your head. It's how it's used, isn't it? Hundred percent. But but there's no there's no manual on how to use it. No. And it's deliberate because you got to think. So when you're inside your head, and you're bullying your, like like we did. You yeah. go home, you start bullying yeah, yourself. Yeah. You can then go on social media and get factual proof to bully yourself even more. Yeah. I'm a loser. No, you're not a loser. Social media. See, look, I am a loser because of this. Yeah. Look, I'm this. Why aren't as pretty as that? Why aren't as pretty as that? Look at this person, but and it, it gives you like actual factual stuff. Yeah. To then confirm Absolutely. all the stuffs in here, and it, it causes. But it's all for likes, though. Yes, then, isn't Yes, exactly. It? But why would you want a like? This, I think, there needs to be some sort of user guide. <laughs> <laughs> do you mean there's something? The with witch it. guide do to do social mean, media? Do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> I do mean? I feel. I feel like it's so. It's like, it's like now with like AI. Like, I think yeah. uh, is amazing yeah but unregulated that's got potential to be absolutely, absolutely catastrophic we've all seen I am legend is it I am yeah. legend it, no, I, I robot I, I robot, robot yeah. we've all seen that yeah it's like and we all laugh about it, the Terminator we all laugh and joke but I mean some of these things now are very very small like the AI can talk it's create its own language yeah that should be a red flag. But yeah. with social media, it's the same sort of thing. Yeah. We're letting these kids, when you said, when they're the most pliable, most malleable, yeah. letting them just run riot on these things. Yeah. And it's basically taking their innocence away.
1: Well, you know, we've already established I'm 10 years older than you. Um, but when, when ele- you were. Ele- ele- <laughs> ele- ele- 11 years. 11 yeah. years.
0: <laughs> 11. What? It's nine. Why, why nine? 42.
1: Oh, no, uh, nine years there we go thank you for that yeah. <laughs> keep, keep, keep that in you're uh, all fired you're all fired <laughs> but when you was at school or when I was at school I had two or three friends that I chameleon to and they influenced me yep. and I influenced them you spent all day every day with them you go around their house you go around their Locked house the you sleep over you do the paper round with them all that sort of stuff that they were your influencers. That's who you sort of aligned yourself to. And you weren't too because you you know, like I say, I aligned myself with the, the the kids who were kind of not a similar background to me, but had a similar sort of, you know, narrative in terms of their day to day life, as it were. Now my daughter can sign into social media is influenced by millions of other people at any given point. She can press a button and somebody can be trying to sell her some makeup to porn to all this yep. sort of stuff that makes life for our children so distorted as to what reality actually is. But then that is their reality because social media is only 15 anywhere. years old, it's isn't it anywhere. really? in terms of, I mean, I, I came off Facebook, not on it. I've got Messenger, I have Instagram. I have Snapchat. It's the only way I think my daughter will probably. Text <laughs> me. Um, but I've only been on that for three days because I think she never responds to a message. Yeah. You know, I ring her; she never answers the phone, but so she'll answer a Snapchat. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just it's so. Then do the job that we do, and have all those other outside influences, as well as the influence of the parents or their their older siblings who might be abusive towards them, and then them internalize what's happening out there in the world, and how do we expect their mental health to fucking well cope with that? Yeah, And that's why you see a lot more in the news now about mental health issues in young people. We don't have the resources to cope with that. It's a ticking time bomb. And I, I speak from experience in work. The amount of work we do now where young people have sort of been sectioned under the Mental Health Act as young people who've been sectioned, that's not adults, yeah. you know, um, with eating disorders, with, with self-harming issues, all those sorts of stuff. What do we do? What do we do? You what
0: know? do, what do so, what's, what, so, again, what do we do? Like what is, in your experience, because again, you, you've had experiences for a number of years, yeah. what is, in your eyes, the answer to this? Like, like what, what can we do? So okay, okay, right now, let's say, as, as, as a parent listening to this, I'm not a parent, but a parent listening to this, what can they do
1: to kind of protect their child from this. Listen to them. Um, understand, I mean, don't just listen to their words. Listen to them. Um, and I said it on, on Jamie Booth's podcast a few months ago. Um, your child will get up in the morning. They will go, they will... Immediately, if they've got a phone in their hand, they, they've changed slightly just by reading something that perhaps they didn't read the day before. Your child will be a different child when it comes home than it was when it left for school in the morning it will be a different child when it watches a tv program because it's learning kids learn at an exponential rate and if you are not listening to what they're saying you know we, we see those so you see those photos um i, I do uh, probably too often than i'd like to where oh first day of juniors last day of juniors great well that's not they've not just changed physically mm-hmm. they've changed in terms of their their life expectations their influences their behavioural patterns, their emotional resilience, absolutely everything's changed and that changes hour by hour. They could have an argument with one of their friends or they're not their friends at the end of the day and they come home and they stick their head in a tablet and as a parent, if you're not listening to that and I mean listening to the fact that they're not even present in the room anymore, that can have catastrophic effects in the long term about a child's sense of worth place in the world, you know, I'm not a perfect parent, you know, and I think it was jamie who said what's the, what's the 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 jay's handbook of parenting? I wish I knew, because every child is different and every child's going to be influenced. The only thing we can do as parents is to try and buffer because it's our job to buffer as much as we can the external the external issues that will dramatically affect our children to try and keep them in education, to try and keep them you know, with, with the right choices in life because they're going to be impacted hour by hour, day by day, more so now than they did in the 80s and the 90s you know, because there's so much information out there. You will be changed from this conversation. I will be changed from meeting you. Even as adults, it happens. Imagine as a child mm. with all those external influences happening and then perhaps a really shitty home life as well. Mm. You know, uh, just listen listen to what they're saying listen to what they're not saying probably more because 70% of, of communication is non-verbal 30% is verbal if you're not listening to their body language or they're, they're all constantly upstairs in their room or you haven't seen them for a few hours whereas normally they'd be at the dining room table or normally be in the room watching Coronation Street with you listen to that as well because they're changing they're, they're changing absolutely all of the time
0: that's probably one of the most powerful five minutes have a podcast like when it comes to like parenting actually how to help the younger generation that i think i've had on my entire episodes that was re- i'm, I'm, I'm going to leave it there and i want to get you back on at some point to know i want to sit with this because we can have a whole episode i think on what we just spoke about in that five minutes but really expand yeah. out not necessarily jay's guide to parenting <laughs> but with stuff like that there. the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy but, but, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think we're still about this there some of the stuff you spoke about because, again, you literally just went off, off on there for five Sorry. minutes. <laughs> no, no, but, yeah. no, but there absolute gold. But I think, actually, if we construct this properly, we can really unpick some of that stuff because yeah. that's a lot of the things there. Like, uh, what's what your kid not doing? Yeah, that, Stuff like that there is absolute gold. Um, normally I say to people, where can people find out more information about you? But uh, I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to ask is, um, if someone's worried about a kid or something like that, or parenting or something like that what what is the correct thing that someone should do is it like a helpline you've got off the top of your head you can
1: um it depends on which local authority you work in i mean there's you know i'm, I'm an advocate for the sort of Childline line NSPCC services you know they won't they they will refer through to our type of service you know they take the information they pass it on every local authority has a helpline they have um a website that you can report concerns into doesn't matter which local authority it is they always have that you know if you think if you think something's amiss, don't be afraid to you know you can do it anonymously you know don't be afraid to say because actually you involving yourself for for thirty seconds of making a phone call could significantly change the outcomes for a child there and then mm. you know if you see something that is you you are uncomfortable with, you're uncomfortable with that for a reason. Tell somebody talk to somebody even if it's the school teacher they all have safeguarding uh, you know procedures they have to follow as well so if you if you see something in the playground or you see something on the way to school and you know that ca- that kid goes to school at your child's school tell the teacher they will refer it in for you you know um, that's that's the only advice I could give you with that if it's something that it makes you feel uncomfortable it's making you feel uncomfortable for a reason no,
0: always listen to your body we spoke spoken on the podcast yeah. before like your intuition like it means something so listen to it yeah Jay mate it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for your time no
1: thank you